0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to take this moment and look at er- Can everybody smile? Just give me a smile. That's awesome. I just want to take this moment and capture that because I think when you leave, it's not going to be a smile. Um, I'm going to give you guys. This is one of those talks where um, you guys, they're going to be eating dinner together. You're going to have some good conversation, table conversation fodder uh, over over today's talk. And so uh, I say that not jokingly or not a. Apologetically, but just saying that I think today's message is a is a tough one. Uh, It's going. It's let me say this. It's tough for me. Uh, This is one of those tough ones that really hits home. It really hits, um, just kind of hits me square in where I'm at. Uh, Today we're talking. We're in this whole series called "End of Your Rope," and today we're going to be talking about a concept that. uh, that uh, peter is introducing to these to these believers, uh, first of all if you would if you would turn to first Peter with me that, uh, his letter, I want to share with you some uh, I want to read a text found uh, starting in verse, or chapter two verses eleven through the remaining part of that chapter and um, as we take a look at this <clears throat> what we 've been, been talking about up until this point is that peter 's saying uh, to these individuals that are experiencing some extreme hardships in life uh, some persecutions, some trials things like that. Uh, he's saying to them, I know that you're at the end of your rope, but listen, put your hope into what is true. Put your hope into the living hope of, of, the, blood, or of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so as he says that, he goes on and he talks about, remember last week we talked about uh, being holy. He talks about you've been set apart. You know, you you know, you may be experiencing all this stuff, but place your faith and hope into Jesus Christ. But remember that you've been set apart. So act like, understand that you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You you are, a, you know, you are a uh, you're part of the li- you're a living stone now that's 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 uh, making up something so much greater. And so uh, today, he 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 begins to talk about something that uh, that's, that that again, like I said, just hits me square. And, and I'm sure it's going to hit you square. So with that being said, let me, let's start with our reading of the text found in verse 11 of chapter 2, uh, 1 Peter. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We, used that last, we ended with that last week, and I wanted to revisit that. Uh, he goes on to say this, Submit yourselves... For the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to be king, as the, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man uh, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, then or this is commendable before God. To this you are called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself uh, to him who, just, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on, on or in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds. you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Back up in verse 12. Dear friends, I urge you, as a, or uh, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Guys, what we're talking about here is this whole concept of living in a fishbowl. Now, <clears throat> I grew up in a pastor's home, and this is one of the things I experienced from day one. Everybody looks at the PK, right? The the it really stands for perfect kid is what it stands for everybody gets that mixed up with preacher's kid but it really stands for perfect kid but everybody you know i shouldn't say everybody my mine wasn't as bad i mean i had some friends that were pk's and i mean i'm telling you their churches were pretty brutal on on their family my my our churches weren't 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 bad however growing up there was that concept of living in a fishbowl meaning that people Watched me. People uh, looked at the way I wore my hair. They looked at the way. Ridiculous stuff, right? Maybe that's why I'm kind of being a little bit more rebellious to some of you. I don't know. Anyhow, um, the way I dressed, you know, things that I did, stuff like that. It was, it was this constant living in a fishbowl. Peter's saying the same thing to us, to these, to these believers and to us today. The same thing. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, that's not right. That really isn't the point. That's not the point. So today I'm speaking to you guys, believers. Those of you that are believers, those of you that say you're Christ followers, those of you that say that you've accepted the grace and salvation and mercy and love of Jesus Christ, I'm talking specifically to you. Because I want to say this to you. People are watching you. They're watching you. And what they're watching is this. Do you live up to what you say or who you say that you are? Now some of us will fight that. Some of us will say that's not fair. That's not right. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Peter is saying this in, in, in verse uh, 12 in, in one translation. He says, People who do not believe are living all around you. And he says this live such good lives. Here's the, here's the uh, instruction live good lives that they will see the good things you do and will give glory to God. That they will see. That word see in the Greek literally means, or I should say, yeah, the, 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 it literally means observe. It's not a passing glance. That it's someone who takes a concentrated effort looking into your life. They see what you're about. What do they see when they look at your life? Do they see someone who is living up to what they uh, living up to their talk? You know the whole thing. You know, uh, walking our or, or, uh, yeah walking our talk. Do we do we truly live up to that? People are making mental notes of you. Unbelievers that are living all around you. You say that you're a Christ follower. People are looking at you to say, okay, if you're a Christ follower, then what does that look like? You know, Are you really living up to that? Not just some aspirational value, but something where you're saying, I'm living up to it. What do they watch? They see if, you're, again, your walk matches your talk. They want to see if you have that word called integrity. And integrity means that you are who you say that you are. And with that being said, I want to flip up to verse 11, because I think we can say this. Therefore, I urge you to live in this world as strangers and temporary residents. Therefore, I'm adding that word. I urge you to live in this world as strangers and temporary residents. Guys, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christ followers is this we believe that all of this here is eternal, it's not, it's temporary. Some of you will get so passionate and so bent out of place about things that are temporary. Right? We all do it. There are things that hit you the wrong way that happens in our world, and we're going to talk about these things, and I'm telling you, you guys are going to have some good conversation at dinner today. There are things that happen all around us, and we get so focused in on the temporary. It's temporary. Meaning that if you're if you live to be 60, 70, 80, 90, that's good, isn't it? Who in here is over a hundred? It is so temporary and brief, the word of God teaches us. We live in this temporary world, meaning that. Right now, the stuff that we're experiencing, everything that we're experiencing around us, we are living in such, the Word of God teaches us that we're living in such a, 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 a time where Jesus is allowing, now get this, Jesus is allowing for Satan to have his quote-unquote day right now. He's allowing, he's allowing Satan to roam around, to exist and whatever, and in one day, that's all going to stop. The Word of God teaches us that one day Jesus will return. He will, he will take the saints, He will take the church, He will uh, judge us in the sense of what did we do with our resources, our talents, the things that He gave us to bring Him glory. What did we do with those things? He will judge people who are not believers. He will judge them for their destiny and things like that. But, but one day we read that there's going to be a what? A new, a new heaven and a new earth, Right? And one day every knee will bow before Jesus Christ and Jesus will make all things new, right? And we will live, the church, the believers, those of us that have truly placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ will live with Jesus in his kingdom for how long? Forever, for eternity. That means. The governments that we experience now will be wiped away. That means the things that we experience on this earth right now that really grab us and upset us and make us just want to wring our hands, that gives us ulcers, that just makes us not be able to sleep at night, all of that stuff that we focus in so much on is going to be gone. It's temporary. Guys, we're experiencing it now. We experience it now in our community. Let's be real. The wind turbines. Some of you are a part of that. It doesn't matter if you're for. It doesn't matter if you're against. What matters is, as Peter says, people are watching you. How do you conduct yourselves? Does that make sense? How do we conduct ourselves? Will there be wind turbines in heaven? I'm not making light. I'm not minimizing. There are things that happen within our world that we, some of us could spit fire. And Peter's saying, people are watching you. As Christ followers, as people that say that you're a children of God, that you're a child of God, people are watching how you conduct yourself. And he says this in the reading that we just read. Three things I want to point out. Three things that, three things that I think are going to hit us square. Number one, temptation. How is your integrity looked during temptation? Because people are watching during times of temptation. Secondly, this is a good one here. How are people watching you when it comes to respecting authority? That's a tough one. And how are people watching you? Or, how, you know, people are watching you. How are you dealing with your integrity when it comes to not only temptation, not only submitting to authority, but suffering? And guys, it all goes back to this right here, the end of your rope. Because it's when we get to the end of our rope, it's when everything's been stripped away. It's when the things that we've placed our hope and faith into at times, you know what I'm saying? Things that, that we, we, we really put a lot of ourselves into, and some of that stuff starts, like our economy and things like that. It's when those things start getting stripped away, and we get to the end of our rope, that that's when our true colors really come out. This is when our true colors really come out. This is when we know, when everyone can see, when we're at the end of our rope, this is when everyone can see what we're truly made of. Do we truly believe what we say we believe in? Do we truly believe that all this is temporary? Do we truly believe that, that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is seated, seated, high on his, you know, seated high on His throne? Do we believe that all of this is going to go away at one day? Are we living our lives in such a state? People are Peter saying, people are all around you watching. And, and it's this whole fishbowl concept. First thing I want to share with you is integrity and temptation. Now here's one for you. Make sure you write this down. If something tempts you, get away from it. Well, that's a big one, isn't it? Never thought of that one, have you? If something tempts you, get away. Here's what this means. A person with integrity... If you're sitting there watching TV and that TV show begins to compromise your values, if that TV show begins to take you down a path that you know is going to tempt you to do something wrong or do whatever it may be, a person with integrity picks up the remote and turns the channel or turns it off and goes and does something else. A person with integrity that's sitting in a movie theater and that movie becomes a little risque, that movie begins to compromise their values, that movie becomes... um, maybe entrenched with language or whatever it may be that compromises what we truly believe, that we believe the Word of God says, a person with integrity gets up and walks out. A person with integrity that's in the middle of a conversation with a group of individuals as that conversation begins to turn, begins to gossip, begins to do things that, that the Word of God indicates that is wrong, that that's not how a believer conducts themselves, a person with integrity simply excuses himself or herself and leaves the room, leaves the conversation. That's what a person with integrity does. A person with integrity takes action. A person with integrity looks at it and says, you know what, this temptation can, may overcome me. I'm, getting, I'm going to steer away from this. And this is why he says this. Peter says, you are strangers and aliens here, exiles. The Living Bible says this, you are visitors. You're temporary residents. The Greek word uh, literally means people who don't have citizenship. We are people that don't even, we don't have citizenship. We may have a green card or temporary visa or however you want to illustrate it, but we are people just passing through. This is brief. This is absolutely brief. We are only here for one. The Word of God teaches us how brief that is. How quick our lives are are just kind of here, and then the next minute they're not. And those of you that have experienced death with a loved one, every time we go to a funeral, it seems like we're reminded again and again and again how brief life really is and how we're not guaranteed things. How we're not guaranteed certain things. We are just passing through. Here's the issue, guys. Peter says this. It's when we get submersed into our culture that at times what can happen is we become desensitized. And so what happens is there are certain things. Some of us may be around... uh, I don't, what a, what, we watch movies and, and there's things that happen within that movie and we become so desensitized because we see it all the time, it, like it doesn't bother us. And, so, and truth be known, sometimes we don't even see it because we have just submersed ourselves into that. And Peter says this, when you get to that point, you better be very careful because that's when you start, where you can get tripped up and fall into temptation. That's when you're becoming seduced. In fact, the message translation of this verse says this, friends, this world is not your home. Don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Peter is going to say this, live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Jesus has changed your life. If we we say that we're a Christ father, Jesus has radically changed our lives. It's when we don't see that change that something is wrong. If, If... If you call yourself a Christ follower in here and Jesus hasn't radically changed your life and your values and your core foundation and everything hasn't been changed and hasn't been rocked, you need to stop and just really take a minute to do some introspection. Because when Jesus gets a hold of our lives, when we place our faith and trust into Him, He radically changes everything. Every single thing about us. We are not part of this world. We are aliens. We are passing through. In verse 15 it says, It's God's will that your good lives silence those who foolishly condemn the gospel without knowing what can do for them, having never experienced His power. What he's saying is this. God's will for our lives is to live with integrity. So if someone wants to trump up some charges against us, they're doing it out of lies. We can't control lies. You can spread lies. Someone can spread lies about another person in a heartbeat. We can't control that. But the one thing we can control is the truth, right? If we're living our lives with integrity, we are controlling the truth, and that's what it means to live above reproach. And this is my desire. I want to live my life, and I want you to live your life in such a way that people have to drum up, have to trump up charges against us to have something. And that means that we have integrity in in dealing with temptation. And as the world looks at us, we are dealing with temptation in a godly way. The second thing I want to share with you is this. Yielding to the authority. Having integrity in how we show respect for authority. Verse 14 says this in one translation. For the Lord's sake, yield to the people who have authority in this world. The king who is in the highest authority. The leaders who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. And to praise those who do right. Yield. He says respect. Show respect for the king, the government, the law enforcement. Those who carry out the enforcement of the laws. Whether good, you know, for good or bad. That word yield. Now... Help me here a minute. I'm originally from West Virginia. That's where I learned to drive, okay? Now, driving in West Virginia, and we had cars, okay, that were powered by gas, just like Michigan, okay? Um, they t- when, I was, when I learned how to drive, there's a sign that's yellow, like a yellow triangle that says yield. That doesn't, when you come up to a yield, it doesn't mean press the gas quicker and harder so you can, you know, be aggressive and go through whatever you want. To. That yield to me, what it meant, well, I just want to make sure we're on the same basis because this is a good illustration. Um, that yield means that you give the right away to the other person coming. Now, is that how you guys understand yield, right? I'm just asking because when I drive, I'm telling you what, people, we all have different concepts of traffic laws, right? Mine's that whole merge thing, you know, like when your lane continues and the other person's merging... I thought they were supposed to, I had the right-of-way. Is that, is that correct? This is really off script, but it's, it's a, it is an issue that I have. Because these guys don't yield. They speed up and try to you know, slide over into you, and that really frustrates me. So, anyhow, it <laughs> has nothing to do with where we're going. But that concept yield, it means, it means, guys, it means get to give the right away. Someone, you come up to an intersection and you have a yield sign, there's someone coming, it means you give the right away to the person that's there, is what it means. That's what it means within this verse. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. It says, I don't have to have my way all the time. It says that, you know what, maybe my idea isn't always the best idea. It says that, you know what, maybe my opinion is just that, my opinion, and that everybody else doesn't maybe doesn't need to hear it, and that I can, I can yield to someone else. Another word that the NIV uses is submit. Now, how does that feel when someone says, you need to submit? That kind of grinds you, doesn't it? Submit. You need to be submitting. Live in submission. Ooh, that doesn't set well, does it? Submission, what does that mean? Well, for many of us, we may say, that means weakness. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. Because I'm here to say this. I believe that submission, yielding, is not actually a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. It's a sign that says, you know what, I don't have to have my way all the time. It means that I feel good enough about myself that I don't have to have my way all the time. And second of all, it seems to indicate that insecure people have to have their way all the time. Does it not? It seems like the ones people that can't submit, the people that struggle with that, are insecure people that really have to, they're, they're trying to prove something. And it's, that's when you lack maturity. It's when we can submit. By the way... When you read the Word of God, when you read like David, and David talks about going into the presence of God, when he talks about worshiping God, when he talks about you know, spending time in God's presence and what God wants, and throughout the Old Testament it says the same thing. God's, he doesn't want the sacrifices, does he? He doesn't want that stuff. I mean, that stuff can be good, but it's not the sacrifices. It's not the motions that we go through. We may, you may have sang every single song uh, that we sang here, just really engaged with it, sang it to the top of your lungs, but essentially it didn't mean a whole lot because your heart is not in a, a state of submission to God. God says, I don't want all that other stuff. What I really want is a humble and contrite heart. Humble. Humility. A heart that's submitted to me. A heart that says, I'm not everything but you. In this verse it's saying, Yield. Yield. Peter says, this is the way you ought to be. People are going to watch you. They're going to see you. They're going to look at you as a believer and how you respond to authority. Your boss, the government, law enforcement, police officers, whatever it is. God allows those governments in, you know, to be a place to order establishment. Why do we do this? In verse 13, it says, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Verse 14, it says, in one translation, make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities. Whatever their level, they are God's emissaries for keeping order. In verse 17, he says this. Show respect for everyone. Love Christians everywhere, fear God, and honor the government. Three things. Show respect for everyone. By the way, showing respect for everyone, prejudice, is an inconceivable fact in the life of a believer. There's absolutely no room for racism. It's absolutely inexcusable. For a believer, if you can reconcile being prejudiced and a racist and being a believer, you really need to spend some time in introspection. Because as one person said, and I believe with it wholeheartedly, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and God loves every single person, size, shape, color, background, whatever they are. God loves us. The second thing is this. Love Christians everywhere. This verse is telling us, show respect for everybody christians everywhere which says to us we may not like everybody in this church but we're called to love everybody and guys just because we're called to love everybody doesn't mean that i have to love your preferences i have to love your likes i have to hate your dislikes that's not what it's about but we are unified in the blood of jesus christ we are brothers and sisters in jesus christ we can love one another without having to like every single aspect of 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 the same things paul tells us this about our about the using the metaphor of the body The third thing is this: fear God and honor the government. Jesus said this: "Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's." Now, when we read that, I want you to just stop and think about this, because maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you're talking. You you know, I'm focusing on this yield, this submission thing as it comes to our government, and you're sitting there and you're you're just you could bite nails in half because you're thinking, man, there is no way you can sit there and tell me this stuff when you look at the government that we have, whatever it may be, at the state, you know, local or even national level. Let me remind you who Peter is writing this to. Peter is writing this to some Christians who were considered the outcasts of their society. They wouldn't be able to meet freely like this whatsoever. You know why? Because they would would literally lose their life physically. They were hounded, they were hunted, and they were persecuted. And guys, they were literally thrown to the lions. Not a metaphor, literally thrown to the lions. Peter says this, Honor the government. Interesting. What type of government was he asking them to honor? The the Roman government. The emperor of Rome at that time was a guy by the name of Nero. Nero wasn't a bad emperor. He was literally an insane emperor. He was slaughtering millions of his own people. He burnt his own town down, the city of Rome. He burnt the city down so that he could rebuild it. He was an insane emperor dysfunctional person to the max, and Peter is saying, I want you to honor your government. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's very hard. I want you to respect your government. How? It's kind of like that same concept. We honor the position, not the personality. And I know that sounds like words that, it's easy to say. You honor the position, not the personality. It's kind of the same concept as honoring our parents. Some of us may be sitting here this morning and saying, How in the world can I honor my parents? They sexually molested me. They physically abused me. They didn't give me love. They didn't do anything. But the Bible tells us to honor. What What does that mean? How can you honor when they don't deserve it? It means that we honor the position, not what they did. What if the government tells me to disobey God? Well, obviously, our first allegiance is to God as Christians, as Christ followers. He's not talking about mindless compliance here. But he's talking about submission sometimes means that we are willing to suffer the penalty for doing what is right. Do you have an employer? An employer is in a place of authority over us. The Bible says that we are yield and to respect that employer. Some of you may say, well, that is tough to swallow. Verses 18 and 19 Listen, to all, it says, Be good servants to your masters, not to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. The question is this, what's your attitude at work say about you? What's your attitude have to say about all of this? Your integrity. Do you quietly and gently just accept things that happen or do you complain like everybody else? Your integrity will be tested and people will be watching That's a good one, isn't it? That's a tough one. How about this one? Peter's saying through the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seek God in your suffering. Have integrity in suffering. Again, this goes back to when we're at the end of our rope. Because that's when our true colors really come out. That's when what's inside is revealed. And as long as we live on this earth, we're going to experience suffering. We're going to have things that happen to us that are... Unfathomable at times. Some of you have had things happen to you that you're saying, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand why God would allow any of this to take place within my life. But look what verse 21 says. In one translation, it says this This, talk about another hard pill to swallow. This is the kind of life that you've been invited into. The kind of life Christ lived. The NIV translation says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Guys, I think one of the worst things that's ever happened to us as Christians, we get confused what we've been called to. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus, when he walked here on this earth, and people said, hey, I want to follow you. And he said, you better, really, you better think about this. You better consider the cost. And he used different examples. If, you're, if you remember, if you've read some of those, he talks about building a tower. He talks about going to war. And he talks about these people considering whether they have, they have enough resources or whatever it may be. You know, th- before they engage, they really need to consider what they're engaging in. And he's telling people that. He's telling people that, that says, I want to follow you. He's saying, that's awesome, but you better really think about this. Guys, I think what has happened is we've lost sight on what we've been called to. We've lost sight what we've been invited into. For some reason, I think we believe that as Christians, we, there never should be a time that there's going to be suffering take place. There's never going to be a time where we're going to be treated unfairly or unjustly or unjustly. And that's simply not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Word of God teaches. What the Word of God teaches is that we're going to be living a life that's literally upside down, inside out, topsy-turvy, oxymoronic, if that's a word. You're telling me that I need to love my enemies. You're telling me I need to pray for people that don't like me, that curse me. You're telling me I need to do... I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. It is a life that is absolutely... In contradictory, this is what we talked about when we were going through that whole series on the, on the book Radical. That's what we've been invited into. That's what we've been called to. And here's the, here's the issue. It says this in verse 21. This is the kind of life you've been invited into. The kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came His way so that you would know that it could be done. It could be done. Say And also how to do it step by step. Christ gave us the example. How did Jesus handle it? He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted to who? Who did he entrust it all to? Who? God. I, heard one, I read where one guy said this. He said, he, he said, as Christ followers, when, we, when something happens to us like this and we're treated unfairly, or our, our rights have been taken away, instead of knowing what verses to go through in the Bible, we know the numbers of our lawyers. But we don't know where to go in the Word of God that teaches us how to deal with it. That's, pretty, that's staggering to think about. And I don't know about you, but if I was in Jesus' shoes... That's tough. To have the ve- your very creation, that's like those of you that are parents that have created a, you know, a child together, and that child looks at you and says, you're the stupidest thing that's ever walked on this earth. And just hurls insults at you. And that would take the grace of God to keep from just destroying that kid, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. And yet that's what Jesus, God himself endured. The creation, his creation, his prize creation, looking at him, insulting him, threatening him, throwing blaspheming at him. But instead of retaliating, instead of saying, you know what, my rights have been violated, he entrusted himself to the one who can judge justly. He allowed God the Father to defend him. When's the last time you had an injustice happen to you and you kept your mouth closed? and accepted it with grace. I want to read this illustration to you verbatim here uh, in closing. For 20 years, Dr. Helen Rosenver was a medical missionary to the Congo. In 1964, when the Simba Rebellion occurred, uh, occurred, she was attacked and captured by rebel forces. She was beaten repeatedly, and she was raped repeatedly. A few years later, she had this to say in an interview about this experience. She said, the rebels had decided to execute several of us. Only too quickly that moment came when we were actually standing in front of the firing squad, the firing line. If someone would have asked me earlier if if I could be a martyr, I would have said, no way. But as we were facing those guns, certain to be killed at any second, we were actually singing the praises of God. We suddenly experienced God's presence and joyfully anticipated our reunion with him in heaven. God simply swept our fears away. Miraculously, at the last moment, the rebels decided to not, to, not to execute us. In fact, I can remember one other late night experience when, his, when this overwhelming consciousness of God's presence came to me, that he was there and he was in charge and that he knew what was happening. It was almost as if he said to me, they're not beating you, they're not raping you, These are not your sufferings. These are my sufferings. And all I'm asking is the loan of your body. Later on, she wrote In 1981, I had breast cancer. I was 36 years old. My mother had died 32 years earlier at the age of 36 with cancer. In 1983, I had a second mastectomy and learned that my husband was having a midlife crisis affair. In 1986, our bright, beautiful 18 year old son took his life. No warning, no sign that he had been unhappy. My husband and I were at home when he quietly hung himself in the basement. In 1988, after 21 years of what I thought was a good marriage, my husband moved in with his Friday night night rendezvous. Because of all the hell that we had been through, I was certain nothing could break us apart. When he left me, the pain was gut-wrenching. But I got through it. How have I overcome all this grief in my life? It was due to the help I received and loving support of my church family, my family, and my friends. But above all, it was my belief in the presence of God in my life. Guys, the acid test of your faith is going to be how you are mistreated. It's going to be how you deal with your temptations. It's going to be with how you deal with with respecting authority when authority does not deserve respect. It's going to be how you deal with what the Word of God teaches and how it's contrary to what we're influenced by of the culture in which we live in. That is the acid test. Jesus says it like this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Your light. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father who is in heaven. He says be a light. I want to close with reading that verse 12 again of our reading in chapter 2. It says this Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Guys, you're living in a fishbowl. You're living in a fishbowl. Your faith is tested. They're watching you. The question is, what are you communicating to them? Are you living it out? I understand that we're human. I understand that we're going to slip. We're going to make mistakes at times. I get all that. But God has called us to something. He's invited us into something that it's going to go against the grain of, which, of all that we've been exposed to and all that we are being influenced by. And the question is, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to live your life out? What type of follower? are you going to be?